show on the incandescent radio network, the voice of entrepreneurs. In each episode of the show, we shine a spotlight on the women who are making strides and changing lives. Hello, and welcome to the Truly Amazing Women TV show. I'm Hope Katz Gibbs, publisher of Incandescent Women magazine and creator of the Truly Amazing Women project, which I launched in 2008. In the years since we have interviewed hundreds of fascinating, fabulous women who are making strides and changing lives. And today's guest is no exception. Please meet filmmaker Jennifer D'Elia. She's gonna tell us about her career, her projects, including her new one, Mary Pickford, Why Not Choose Love, which is coming out this year. And just all kinds of stuff about living in LA, living in New York and making movies. So welcome to the show, Jennifer. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, it seems really, really exciting, like what you have going on. <laughs> Thank you. You too. You too. Absolutely. And so I will have to tell our audience that Martine Malou introduced us. She is yes. the cover story for the May issue of Incandescent Women magazine. And we're just kind of rolling out these interviews as we go, because what we're looking to do is launch an international women's movie night, uh, which we'll uh, just sort of announce a little bit now, but we'll roll it out later this year. And we're just gonna shine a light on what women are doing in the movie making business. So tell us, how did you get into making films? I was a kid who was very into um, psychology and storytelling, writing, uh, poetry, short stories. And I kind of used psychology and, and storytelling as a coping mechanism to see human behavior in a different way. Like I was a kid who was going through a lot of um, turmoil and different things growing up. And so I had this kind of zoom out uh, effect that I would do with my psyche where I could really like study the situation as a witness more than at the center of it. Even if I was like the, seemed like the target of something, I, I could kind of like zoom out. And I realized that I had started, you know, seeing life as a movie and um, us sort of all as actors in a way, you know, embodying archetypes and roles and, uh, relationships and things. And so my, my interest in film was sort of different in that I wasn't a film buff. I wasn't a kid with a camera. I wasn't with, which are all amazing things. Um, I was more like in my head and more just, uh, like I said, kind of into psychology and character and applying that to, to real life, so to speak. So I developed a passion for, character and story. And my first strength in that realm was writing. And then, I don't know, it sort of proceeds when I could like recall a memory, but I just kind of knew, I think intuitively um, that I was a filmmaker. And I grew up in Kansas. Um, I wasn't born there, but that's where I spent age seven to 17. And I left home early. Um, and moved to LA on my own without, without support. And it was like 1997, like using the phone book, cold calling, showing up places, like not even 18, trying to figure out where I could work and ended up getting a job, an unpaid job at Paramount Studios for a TV show. 
just like serving water to guests and answering fan mail and things like that. So that was my first like job in LA. And before that, I had even started working in Kansas City. As soon as I got my driver's license, I started volunteering and and doing anything to work in uh, media. So I was at the news station and the radio stations in Kansas City, just giving them time and energy. And uh, so I was really ambitious and and didn't really see like a plan B. I didn't see any sort of um, like obstacles. Like when people would say, like, what are you going to do if that doesn't work out? I'd be like, oh, that's, I don't think, I have no idea. I don't think like that. (laughs) Um, And in Kansas in the nineties, and especially with no family members in this business, I was like speaking a foreign language. I was very, very alien to be like, I'm going to LA and I'm going to make movies. But it was like for different reasons. It, It really felt like a calling. So yeah, from there, the rest is history. Like I just started working my way up from like unpaid gigs to paid gigs as a PA. I always, which is a production assistant. I always kept writing and and just being creative, but knew that without connections, I needed to not only make connections, but learn the business. Um, Which now that I'm, you know, I've been directing for over 10 years and I've, I ran my own company in New York for 10 years. I've directed, you know, theater, film, music videos, commercial. I, I know now what a kind of novel thing it is to be a director and to be an artist, to be a writer who also like raises the money, knows production inside out, who kind of came up the way that I did. I'm not saying it's always the best case scenario. I mean, it makes me feel really empowered. Although sometimes it's like, why am I wearing so many hats? Like, I just want to be the director, but I can't help it because now I've done these things. And I've always wanted creative control. So raising the money as hard as it is and running the show definitely gives me more creative control, if not total creative, um, versus like working with a studio or working with, you know, another type of company. So yeah. I kind of came up being a, um, like a pioneer of sorts, I guess, or just kind of like a go-getter, you know, I didn't, I didn't really have a role model or mentor. There are definitely people I like admired, but I didn't like follow a path and it was just all very intuitive. Um, and the only thing I knew to do was work. Like that was the only thing. (laughs) That's so cool. Tell us about your first film and what that experience was like. My first film as a director? Yeah. Um, My first film as a director is called Billy Bates, uh, which is out on like iTunes. I don't think it's on Amazon anymore, but um, it's out. And uh, it was um, a non-union film. It's an art film. It's very personal. And it premiered at the Tribeca Film Festival and it did have a distribution, which was kind of surprising to everyone because it's not um, conventional or, um, you know, wasn't marketed based on one big movie star name or something. There were people that um, are recognizable and stuff, but, you know, usually they try to get you to cast someone that has like a big name. So uh, money is like easier, you know, but I, um, I, I like just to do things my own way. And so I just, uh, I did a short film first and 
developed that into the feature. So I first directed a short called I am an Island and took that to festivals and then was able to raise the money from there to turn that idea into a full length feature. I met my first investor ever as a director through raising money prior for other people's films. So as a producer, I, I started you know, connecting projects to money. Um, and those were star driven projects. So, and it was before the economy crashed in 2008. <laughs> so people were like just writing checks for movies. And it was, uh, I don't know, kind of like a heyday in a weird way for in independent film, independent financing, I should say. So I closed a couple of deals. And so then I was able to learn the ropes of funding. So I found an investor who trusted me, didn't know if I was talented and could direct, but knew I knew the business and knew I um, just understood a lot. And so he's like, all right, fine, I'll, I'll fund your short. You know, um, he's like, anyone who says they want to turn a short into a feature, he's like, pretty much never does. So don't like think that will happen. <laughs> um, but this time it did. We actually did turn it into a feature. And that's Billy Bates. And that was um, somewhat based on my dad's life. And then it, it transformed into um, more of like a, a character study of an artist who's channeling his personal experiences into his newest body of work. And you don't really know which is art, and which is life. And then it's kind of like, they're one in the same. <laughs> um, and I realized that that's what I was sort of, you know, experiencing in my own life and questioning creation and creativity and art life and, you know, and starting to see that we're all artists. Like you don't have to be producing art, so to speak. Like we're all kind of designing our reality. And that was really fascinating to me. So yeah, it was a fun project. It was partly shot in Austin and partly shot in New York. And uh, we had like Tarantino's and Robert Rodriguez's uh, production design team. They were in between projects in Austin. So I was able to get them to come design a big warehouse studio for me. And uh, it was a really special project. Yeah. So that's called Billy Bates, which is the, the name of the main character. And then, um, yeah, from there I found Mary Pickford. So. <laughs> yeah, so Mary Pickford is your new film coming out at the end of the year. This is really exciting because she is amazing. So tell us about that project. Um, Mary Pickford is the first woman of Hollywood who founded United Artists. She founded the Academy. She is the advocate that got actors their names in the credits at a time when their names weren't in the credits. She was pre-Hollywood. She started acting on camera in 1909 in New York. So 1909 and um, they weren't even shooting in California yet. And she was the first celebrity and the first female producer and the first woman to earn a million dollars in a year in North America. She was like running the business, but she was this wild artist and her story has kind of been buried, honestly. And so it's pretty fascinating to discover the roots of Hollywood was you know, really this woman. And um, she had such amazing vision um, and integrity and was spiritual and just such a cool, I think, archetype in terms of like the mother of storytelling, you know? So I found her at an art exhibit in Toronto. I had no idea who she was or anything and felt 
kind of bad about that. Like, how do we not know this woman in, in this culture and um, in this global culture? Like she founded it, she created it, she birthed it. Um, so I fell down the rabbit hole of her life and read the books and did the, the research. And um, it took us like five years to develop that story and to write the script and raise the money to do it independently. Um, and then now it's been like five years since we shot the film, editing, continuing to raise money, finishing it. Um, and it's called Why Not Choose Love, a Mary Pickford manifesto because she wrote a pamphlet about universal love <laughs> um, as the highest frequency for creativity. So that's a really cool thing also to discover about the roots of Hollywood, which became such a machine and so industrious and so um, almost counterintuitive when it comes to creativity and art. And to find that it was birthed from this place of artists just really wanting to be creative. And um, yeah, so I think it's taken a long time to get ready to come out, but I think the timing is better than ever. So I believe in like, you know, divine timing, I guess. And um, yeah, I'm excited about it because it's, again, it's not a conventional biopic. It's, it's all, it's definitely um, done more David Lynchian or very like auteur kind of in her psyche and, you know, not your typical like rags to riches kind of like also really powerful story. Like you'll see where she comes from poverty and all of that. Um, but it's honoring, you know, the spirit of like United artists and the spirit of, um, art as the heartbeat, you know, of humanity really, which is what she felt. So, yeah, it's exciting. I, I can't wait. And, and then, you know, in the mix of doing it, I did multitask a little bit. I had to finish Billy Bates. I directed a few music videos that were for really incredible artists. And I directed a play off Broadway with Julia Stiles and the lead from my film, Billy Bates. It was like a romantic comedy off Broadway in New York. Um, so I, I did get to do other things as well, but but Pickford has been like the main focus for a while. That's so incredible. We're going to have yeah. to look at a cover story when it comes out. So we'll be in yes. touch. So talk a little bit about what it's like to be a woman in Hollywood. I just don't know. <laughs> like, I think that that's, that's been an interesting question that's been coming up. Um, I think the first time I got asked the question it was like eight years ago on a panel in New York. Um, and I think because of my upbringing, I mean, this is only what I can speculate because I obviously don't know, but I definitely relate to Pickford in this way. That like struggling in life to me just felt like a big part of the human experience. So I didn't ever stop to think that any of my struggles were because of like my anatomy. Like I just thought that, you know, you fight for what you want. You just have to, like, that's just life. So I guess I had such a laser vision and laser focus that anything that happened, um, I never thought it was because I was a girl, you know, just in terms of, I mean, I was in my twenties and I would be the only girl in a room 
raising, you know, a million dollars or $2 million for an independent film, sitting down with agents and producers and things. And like, I was not only like 23, but I was a girl. And um, I just thought that was so cool. Like, I didn't like think I was being treated differently. Or if I was, I certainly was blind to it. Cause I was just so excited to be in the environment, you know? And I know that we struggle with um, when it comes to like sexuality or like using sexuality to advance, you know, um, our careers or things. And it doesn't matter if you're in front of the camera or behind the camera. I think that those opportunities arise. I'm just going to call them opportunities because you really have the option to take them or not take them. Um, I, I do understand the fear around, like, if I don't do this, will I get to advance? Because there's sort of this culture that's been embedded that kind of tells you that if you don't do this, you might not make it. And that's a lot of pressure. So I don't blame anyone for exploring that um whether in our industry or any industry it's awful if someone's really violated like that's just a whole other level of things um the whole predatorial thing is like a sickness i think in in our in our world um what's very distinct in our field and i'm sure also in other fields is just this question of should I use my sexuality to get further and when it's really a choice it's interesting you know if you're not being attacked but it's really a choice it's interesting and that's to me like a very powerful entry point for inquiry is like why do we feel that our value is kind of diminished to this point of that's my asset. Like that might be what I have to do. Like where, how did we get there? You know? And I don't see it as like a male female thing. I see it as like, almost like a condition or like a disorder. Like it's disordered. It's like out of order. So it's like, if we didn't enable that, it would be harder for that to exist. I see like the dance between all parties, you know, and that's like not speaking of, I said, like the attack or like something else, speaking of this just exchange. And um, yeah, those things came up for me, but it, I wasn't that interested, so to speak. You know, I definitely had those moments where I questioned, would it make things easier? <laughs> you know? Um, so in, in summary, I sort of feel like it's a very powerful time to be female and a, and a creator and to really see that whether you're male or female, we're all trying to kind of call in and cultivate the female, the feminine principles, which I believe whether you're male or female, we, we have both in us, within us. I think a lot of us women have been operating with more of the masculine too, because we live in a very ambitious culture 
And for me, it's not just about taking like the, the male superhero and the big action film and putting the female body in. It's like, what traits, is she, what superpowers is she going to have that are actually different than the masculine? And so I've been judgmental, I'm not going to lie, about, you know, studios and people just being like, oh, instead of a man, we'll just we'll put a woman in. It's like, but she's doing the same things. She's still violent. She's still this. She's still like, how is that helping us? But now I sort of like, I'm trying to like understand where we're at and, and the zeitgeist and just kind of be like, okay, maybe that's a step. Like, I don't want to be mad about it. Um, but I just think what's interesting to me are the feminine traits of like receptivity and being able to transform without, um, violence and healthy masculine is also that in, in a way, or you take action, but it's inspired action and it's done from a different like vantage point. So I think we're all like looking for balance and it's not so much about anatomy, <laughs> but I think we're such physical beings and we're so used to just adhering to the five senses that it's like, okay, well, it, it feels like this man woman thing. And it just doesn't, it doesn't come to me that way. And Pickford was very similar. She talked about the integration between masculine and feminine. And she was like the business person that like could negotiate anyone under the table. But then she was this artist and she was very like feminine and creative. And then she'd go and negotiate. She kind of operated with both sides of her brain and she did it very fluidly. And so I heard this NPR interview one time where they were like, finally talking about Pickford around the Oscars because she found she was the only female founder of the Academy and it was her idea to have a ceremony every year. So these historians were being interviewed and they said, what would Pickford think about me too? Mm -hmm. And um, one, the female historian was like, well, she was a feminist and she would just be like, yeah, sisters, like, you know, all this stuff. And it was actually the male historian that was like, I don't know. Like, yeah, she loved her, her sister tribe her you know, but she loved kind of like everyone and all artists. And she was an advocate for people to have their voice. Like that was her thing. And he was like, I think she'd be wanting to have the conversation, you know, like with both sides, because it can be very divisive to say them against us. And it was interesting because the male had that perspective and the female was like, she'd be feminist and she'd be the, you know, and I was just listening going, you know what? She's yeah. I, I relate where I'm all those things. Like I'm all those things. I see all the sides. And uh, so I'm kind of interested in integration and um, I'm in conclusion, I'm really interested in supporting artists to who have vision to tell stories that are healthy for humanity. And um, for me, if that's the mission, then everyone will be heard. Whether it's someone from some other continent or somebody who's native or someone who's a boy with all kinds of identity stuff going on. It does, for me, once it's really about integrity and vision, like everyone's included, you don't really have to be in this affirmative action kind of like, we need these, this. Okay. Check. We need this check. It's like, no, let's just tell amazing stories. You know, and I know not everyone can think like that and that can seem really idealistic, but for me, 
Um, that's like my mission with it, with, with this industry, you know? So I feel empowered to be a female, but I just look at things very holistically, you know? Yeah, that's a, that's a fascinating perspective and really appreciated. And we can't wait to see this movie, but you do some other stuff. You also do some acting. Is that right? Yeah, I do. Um, I, I, I started acting before anything because uh, as a child, I was acting in like community theater and studying drama and stuff like that. Um, and I loved it. I wasn't like great at it. I didn't really discover my talent in that realm until I was in my early twenties and I had gone through enough like life stuff that I had more to like draw from because I was so kind of like intellectually advanced as a kid, but not like emotionally. I was, um, I processed intellectually. So delivering emotion was very challenging for me and it was not till later that I discovered I could tap into that. And I was, um, if I was, if I was very present, I could really deliver. So when I partnered with uh, Julie Pacino, who we started our company in New York, um, in like 2009, the first short film we did, I acted in and with some very seasoned actors like Beth Grant and Ty Simpkins, um, and Sean Kanan, and I was a dark kind of prostitute mother. Um, and it was really raw and really amazing to do that. I also produced that. I did the festival circuit for a while. And then um, now I'm directing a sort of uh, elevated like reality. It's like a hybrid reality, almost fantasy. It's very interesting, this concept it's called dark beauty and I'm playing the director in the show but I'm the director of the show so it's very meta and that's been super fun like super 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 fun um we've shot three episodes so far and that's pretty cool I think it's a little bit groundbreaking so yeah I do and I think acting is great for the director um so I'm really happy that I know about that <laughs> It is. I love it. So you're yeah. so amazingly multi-talented. It's a pleasure to meet you. So where can people go to see your films and learn more about you? Well, we're revamping our, my website. So I would say social media, Instagram um, is also pretty new for me, but it's there. And there's a, a at Mary Pickford movie, which is for the film. And there's at humanizing the icon, which is the chat series and podcast that I host. And then there's me at jennifer.delia. Um, I think those would be the main. And then there's like the YouTube for the podcast and different things. But yeah, those three Instagrams for now, I would say. <laughs> Excellent. Well, we'll put all of that in the liner notes on the video and on the podcast on Incandescent Radio. And we are going to definitely keep in touch with you. You have a wonderful insight, perspective, and energy. So thank you so much for being on the Truly Amazing Women Show. Jennifer D'Elia, we will look for you more and more and more. So congratulations and best of luck with everything that you're working on. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, great. All right. We'll see you all soon. I'm Hope Katz Gibbs with Incandescent Incorporated, Radio TV, Incandescent Women Magazine, and The Incandescent Health and Wellness. We will talk to you all soon. 
That's it for today's episode of the Truly Amazing Women Show on the Incandescent Radio Network, the voice of entrepreneurs. If you're a truly amazing woman or know someone who is, don't hesitate to contact us. Simply log on to www.trulyamazingwomen.com and fill out the proposal form. We've profiled more than 250 women on the site who fit the bill of being truly amazing, and we look forward to honoring more. Who will be our next truly amazing woman? Tune in next week for a new episode on www.incandescentradio.com. Here's to your incredible, indelible success.